is Living Catholic with Father Don Wolf. Living Catholic is a fresh look at issues confronting each of us today. This show deals with living out the Catholic faith, what that means for Catholics, as well as the impact on the rest of society. You certainly don't have to be Catholic to enjoy this show. And now, your host, Father Don Wolf. Welcome, Oklahoma, to Living Catholic. I'm Father Don Wolf, pastor of Sacred Heart Parish and rector of the Shrine of Blessed Stanley Rother. Recently, the satirical newspaper The Babylon Bee had a headline that captured everyone's imagination. It read, Worldwide shortage of conspiracy theories has everyone worried. It's really hilarious. I didn't read the article. I didn't need to. The headline was clear what it meant. In our day and time, what used to be dismissed as too wild and too outrageous to be a part of common conversation, things too wild ever to be considered true have been found to be the truth. So what used to be the lurid cover stories on the National Enquirer now fill the pages of the New York Times and the Atlantic. We used to turn to the somber tones of Garrett Huntley and David Brinkley so they'd tell us the facts of the news as it was unfolding. Now we can go to the uneven tones of a computer-generated voice at one of a thousand websites and get the latest story about something that sounds too crazy to be true, but is true all the same. We could take our pick. How about the one that COVID was created in a lab in China? It was considered too wild even to be mentioned, and in fact couldn't be mentioned on social media because it was considered too wicked to be said out loud. But the latest news affirms that this accusation looks like it's true. Turns out, they say, a Chinese lab working on germ warfare viruses had a problem with one of its products and poof, the world had a meltdown. What was a conspiracy theory for two years is now reported as fact because it turned out to be a fact. Or that the methods promoted for keeping people safe from the spread of the virus during the pandemic was mostly made up by officials from various government agencies with little or no scientific evidence. To even breathe a hint of such things was enough to land a person in Purda, because the sincere officials in charge of our health were just following the science, they said. This conspiracy theory headline turns out to have been true, too. As we're now finding out, many of the folks in charge just made things up because they thought it sounded right. And some of those who knew the science best sat on their hands because they didn't want to make it sound like they were endorsing a conspiracy theory. They look a little odd now. Or that those who have pulled the levers of power in the law enforcement agencies over the last many decades have influenced elections and played favorites and have willfully ignored overt and widely known and bold criminal wrongdoing depending upon who's in charge. That's been the headline on a hundred different occasions over the last 50 years from a dozen different fringe newspapers. Even such publications in some so small no-account newspaper that such things might be happening was enough to result in an investigation from one, from one of those same agencies since it was considered to be so outrageously wrong. Turns out it's been true, and apparently it's been true for a long time. What used to be a conspiracy is now bold fact. Or that there really are UFOs and they've been around for a long time. Not exactly a fringe story since hundreds of books have been published about these things over the last 50 years. There are even national conventions of those who agree that aliens are among us. 
but no worthwhile publication would touch such a story. It was too outrageous and too spare of facts. That is, until the Air Force and the Navy started admitting they had videos of crafts moving about in ways they couldn't explain. They're the ones now promoting the claim of machines out there doing things they don't understand. E.T., anyone? As it's turned out, it becomes harder and harder actually to make things up and publish satire. What was once soft comedy and outright foolishness has now become hard news. And it doesn't seem to be slackening up. Every day, it seems, something incapable of being said, if indeed it's even capable of being thought, becomes the subject of news reports. We're almost getting used to it. And if the reaction to what our armed forces are saying is any indication, we've just about become numb. I haven't heard anyone respond with any alacrity to what's been said at all. UFOs flying around our carrier groups in our rocket silos apparently is the new order of the day. Since it sounds like an old joke, we all stopped laughing a long time ago, and now we just shrug our shoulders. The world is turned upside down. So what? On the one hand, that's good news. As long as we're learning the truth, it doesn't matter what category it once was filed under. Knowing what is true is infinitely better than not knowing it. In every age, there's the temptation to foreclose finding out, because what there is to find out is too upsetting to the categories and systems we're most at home with. We don't like to hear things in ways we aren't used to. Hearing something new sounds like a conspiracy, a conspiracy theory. So, for example, when it was proposed that people got sick and even died because of infections, that came from microscopic, microscopically small little animals. A lot of people thought of this as unlikely as evil spirits. In fact, the doctor in Vienna who proposed that his fellow doctors wash their hands after dissecting corpses in the hospital basement before they attended mothers about to give birth, he was eventually dismissed from the hospital. This was after he had proven that when they washed their hands, the rate of infections and death in childbirth went down. When he left, they went back to their standard practice, the death rate among mothers went up, and all was well, as far as the doctors were concerned. And when Einstein proposed that the rate of the speed of light didn't change, but rather it was time itself that was altered, he was thought to be mad. The math checked out, and it made sense, but he was still thought to be an outlier. For a good while, the only thing anyone could check was the math. They had to wait a couple of decades to get the good data about his theories in the actual physical world. Nobody wants to think the way he proposed, or in a related field, a popular rumor has it that the great physicist Richard Feynman said that only two people in the world really know what quantum physics is, and one of them is lying. It all sounded crazy, too disconnected from the realities we know and can touch and feel and make sense of. And yet, we know that the folks who put up the satellites for the GPS system have to make adjustments to the signals reaching us from, from them orbiting the Earth. And I, all of that is based on their distance and their speed. Even when the truth seems odd and out of touch, if it is the truth, we're bound to it, if we're interested in truth itself. Of course, a lot of times we're not interested in truth. That seems odd with what we say all the time, especially because we put such a high premium on making sure we have the right answer about things. But we all know truth is available only to the ready mind. 
The one who searches for the truth often has to be disciplined and trained in order to find it and accept it once it is found. Being prepared for it or not committed to the disciplines for recognizing it, it in, if we're unprepared for it, it can pass by us as silently as the gamma rays rushing past us in their silent journey across space. We don't do this because we're perverse, or at least not just, just because we're perverse. We ignore the truth because it's not part of the world we're prepared for. A former pastor at the parish in Buffalo had a wonderful story about the difficulty of recognizing the truth. You have to be prepared. At that time, there were a number of young women who had come out from the Northeast to work in Oklahoma as mission territory. They wanted to share their faith and their commitment to the church with the sparse Catholic populations of Oklahoma. A couple of them had been assigned to this little parish in Northwest Oklahoma as religion teachers. At the beginning of June, as they were going to church for Mass, they told the priest how sad they were that all the wheat in the fields around the town had died. They wanted him to say a special prayer for the farmers now that their crop had been ruined. Died, the pastor said. Who told you the wheat died? Why, it's all dried up and turned yellow, they said. It's all ruined. No, the pastor had to tell them. When it dries up and turns yellow, it's called harvest time. The city girls didn't know what they saw and, not knowing, didn't know what to see. The truth was not available to them, although it was right in front of them. It's the same for all of us. The unprepared eye cannot see. So when we're confronted with the truth, it's good for us to find out it's there. And it's all the more blessed when we find out it is a truth that has been, that has been despised and dismissed because it's been held to be uncomfortable or unacceptable. When we can finally see the truth for what it is, the world is a better place, and we're in a better situation. If we have to drag truth out of the darkness of easy dismissal so that it can prosper in the truth, then we all gain. We also resist the truth because we all have an investment in the world we're in right now. A truth ready to upset the world we have is one that we all resist, no matter what kind of pride we take in standing for the truth or being a part of the world dedicated to it. What we've gained as a result of what we believe, if it works for us, helps us. The last thing we want to do is to embrace a truth that will upset things. So we invest in not believing it. Take, for example, the reaction to the cornerstone encyclical from Pope Paul VI, Humanae Vitae. It was written in 1968, and it restated the Catholic Church's opposition to artificial birth control. Well, to be more accurate, Accurate. It restated every church's universal rejection of birth control throughout all of history up to about 1925. Pope Paul laid out his objections to what just about everyone everywhere regarded as an unvarnished good, birth control. After describing the church's teaching on the matter, he went on to describe what he saw as the ultimate results of the embrace of this practice among everyone in society. He predicted there would be a diminishment in family life and child rising, he proposed a sudden weakening of the bonds between husband and wife. There would be a great deal more ex sexual exploitation of women and a lessening of the appreciation of women and their gifts. And finally, he proposed a growth in violence against women and children, especially babies. And in all of this, he was roundly mocked, especially by Catholics. Now that we're a little more than half a century into the project he warned us about, we can take stock and see if his predictions hold water. Turns out, he was right. With a billion porn sites on the internet, 50% divorce, 
most people living as couples live unmarried, with 64 million abortions, and if they are for sex selection, they're 90% female babies aborted, and the erasure of all claims that men and women have distinct gifts or even distinct characteristics, it seems his view to the future has been borne out. And that doesn't include the fact that the World Health Organization now classifies oral contraceptives as a class one carcinogen. And we might add, nowhere in the Western world is there a place that has a replacement birth rate. Everywhere, except in Africa and South America, every country is getting smaller, faster and faster. Babies have become unacceptable and unsupportable. Most people who look into the future don't get things 100% correct. He did. And yet, today, his objections and his warnings are still pointed to as unacceptable and unrealistic. They're a type of conspiracy theory in the mind of most people, including most Catholics. Reliable control of fertility and the resultant behaviors are valued much more than the rest of the truth about contraceptives. Everyone in our society, and that means all of us, are involved in making sure the widest truth about this practice is isolated, or at least not seen clearly. We all have an investment in not seeing. So when there's a small bit of light shining on the fringes, we often choose not to look at it. It's all the more maddening to look, and we spend a lot of energy not looking when we find out that the light is shining on the truth. And the examples don't have to be quite so rarefied as Pope Paul VI, who was a controversial pope. We can go to the widespread support of the Soviet Union under Lenin and Stalin. For decades, their system of government and control was enthusiastically supported by people at all walks of life. When economic hard times hit the U.S. in the 1930s, some 10,000 U.S. citizens made their way to Russia to live amid the new society being built there. Those people who told other stories of prison camps and executions and starvation and the enslavement of the entire population, they were dismissed as class enemies. It was only in the 1970s that some of the enthusiasm officially waned for the Soviet project, especially among the most intellectual of its supporters. There was a wholesale investment in not believing what was happening. Terror and blood and death were just too hard to face for those who committed themselves to their enthusiasms. And by the way, about half of the 10,000 Americans came back to the U.S. The other half mostly perished in the gulag. All of this being said, of course, we do have to understand what really goes on when conspiracy theories are hatched. Many of them really are crazy and have no basis in reality or even in possibility. We really are entitled to dismiss impossible things in society as impossible. We're not obliged to figure out how we can support them somehow. Conspiracy theories, after all, are born out of the presumption there really are people who are at the apex of the world who can control what will happen to us. Whether it's a group or a single person or some version of the two, there is a fantasy about control that doesn't go away. It's almost irresistible because of what we want the world to be. That is, we want the world to be explainable and plausible so that what we know of the world really can unfold in a way we can take part in and progress with. Conspiracy theories help us do that. After all, if we believe the world really is controlled by some super smart, super rich conglomerate who can pull the levers of power throughout the world so as to control everything and everyone, 
At least we know the world is controlled and controllable. We may not like who's making the plans and turning the dials, but at least we know it's not blind chance or random circumstance. It's actually comforting to know we aren't flailing around in a huge system with so many variables and so much confusion, no one actually knows what's the, what's possible and exactly what's going on. If we're convinced some super powerful nexus of decision makers are causing things to happen, at least we can make sense of the cause and get busy either supporting it or interrupting it. So therefore, conspiracy theories are helpful and comforting. If there really aren't any, the world is actually a much more frightening place. The great arc of history is filled with the random and the wild, with no one able to get a handle on it about what might or might not happen. Crazy things happen, and they happen at the most unlikely times and are spurred on by the most unlikely people. Nobody could make them up, much less make a plan and be sure over the decades the plan really is put into practice. After all, what's the difference between history and fiction? Fiction has to be plausible. History has no such restraint. Wouldn't it be better if it really was a powerful group of mysterious people who actually caused Hitler to rise to power in Germany? An uneducated, crude narcissist came to power in the most cultured and educated country in Europe by way of wild promises and popular elections. And he did it by promising to, quote-unquote, solve the Jewish question in the nation with the most assimilated and least religious Jewish population in all of Europe. Not only that, he promised the outbreak of war to his people who had lost prodigiously in a world war just one generation before. And yet he rode to power in this democracy and took over the entire country until every institution served his personal will, until virtually every building was level and every decency stained. It really happened. If it were only the case that our overlords thought of all this ahead of time, we could be content in knowing it was also part of a huge plan. If it's not some huge plan, then such a thing really could happen in our place during our time. What we had always held on to as our inviolable inheritance could be wrecked if such unpredictable and unrealistic things could happen as if out of the blue. If that's the truth, suddenly the world becomes a more terrifying place if just anything at all could happen. This is one of the outcomes we're living with right now. We're waking up to the fact of chaos amidst us, and it's not comfortable. The Babylon Bee's headline is funny, but like a lot of jokes, it makes for some uncomfortable reflections. If the news we've been hearing has spent so much time not telling us the truth of what's going on, and have been and has been ignoring the uncomfortable truths buzzed about in the tiny headlines, then our confidence that we know what's going on in the world has been shattered. The story of the world is not only different than we imagine, it appears it is different than we can imagine. One of our fantasies, after all, over the last hundred years or so has been our presumption of knowledge. Just as science was pulling the curtain back from our ignorance of the natural world and nature's mysteries were being revealed to us, so also we were confident we knew of the progress of what was taking place in the world. The newspapers we bought and the magazines we read let us know what was taking place. We didn't much think about the narrative the papers and the publications adopted, since we presumed there wasn't one other than that they were telling us what was really going on. We were willing to believe them and to believe their sincerity. 
Now, when so much trampled truth has been revealed, we're not only left trying to put together a new version of what to believe, we're left wondering if we can trust anything we hear. We're left facing the fact that with instantaneous worldwide communication, we might not know much more of the world than a medieval peasant knew in his village. Reporters stationed all over the world, available to us at the swipe of our screens, tell us a version of fairy tales, highlighting what's what we've been led to believe and highlighting that what we've been led to believe is the truth of things. And all the wild, the real world goes on its way. It's cruel to imagine, but we're not sure exactly who or what to believe about anything anymore. In the novel 1984, the author, George Orwell, created a dystopian world in which the intent of everyone was to destroy the past in order that, might, that it might conform to the present. There wasn't anything more pressing and more important than the present moment. The main character was pressed into service to participate in this destruction. Ultimately, the effort was to make sure no one knew anything of true substance, but only what was convenient to know. What made the operation so insidious was the erasure of any awareness on the part of anyone that truth was considered malleable enough to redact. To take in the crafted version of the past was to know, the, was to know a truth, but only the manufactured version of it designed to support the interests of the moment. There simply was nothing else. What was left unsaid is that the eventual outcome was that no one would ever know what was true or what had been true because everyone was affected by the manipulation of what had been said or thought or believed. The final result would be a world in which truth was impossible and every contrary thought was a conspiracy theory. In all of this, we're not at a particularly grave place in our time. It's hard to find satire, but mostly because we're not creative enough to make fun of ourselves and our place. At this moment, we're just facing the fact of revelation. What we took to be true has turned out not to be. What we despised has resulted in confession. This is all to the good. The more we come to know the truth and the more we are suspicious of those who claim it in the name of all of us, the more we can creep down the pathway of certainty or at least of inquiry. What's the final promise of the gospel anyway? At least in the Bible, it's called revelation. That's what it's like to have a worldwide shortage of conspiracy theories. Back in just a moment. Welcome back to our final segment, Faith in Verse. I have a poem today called Sacrifice. Do we still believe in real penances and true sacrifice? To offer ourselves to what we expect as a divine gift? We seem not to have a place for such things in common artifice nor find the prospect of it in our living as we search and sift. It's far past upsetting for the sincere heart now questing, for a meaning beyond the foolish limits of our foolish lives. To find the only sacrifice noted is the one resting on the glamour and danger of military service ties. We have found no way truly to surrender and give our fragile selves away in fragility and weakness. It is a surprise we therefore wonder as we live and ask if there is substance as we look and seek such. Only if we find the one worthy of the gifts we can give, who can receive even the smallest intentions we can risk, and in finding can serve in our surrender and thereby live, 
coming to the center of life, surrendering its gist. Having given rather than taken, we could live sublimely for the other and not for self, and thus beyond our sins, and so our desires and our tensions would be timely, as we had purpose and then joy and then direction again. That's sacrifice. I hope that everyone has a chance to join us in the weeks to come as we continue to drill down into the depths of what it means to believe, what uh, it means to be living Catholic for all of us. So I hope to see you then. Living Catholic is a production of Oklahoma Catholic Radio. To learn more, visit okcr.org.